Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live. Welcome to the studios of WLE News Talk 990 in beautiful downtown Richmond. And it is a great Saturday morning here. Nice and cool, nice and dry. And you are here with Richmond Biz Live, your weekly business talk show that provides information to business owners and entrepreneurs. We're dedicated to your success and specifically for those owners that are looking for the payoff. Um, this is the time, this is the place. And if you're that owner, it's time to join us. So you can either call in at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844-249-BizLive. Or you can go to our website, and which is richmondbizlive.com, and you can hit watch us, and you'll be streaming live over our video cam, or you can listen and you can stream it over the web. Okay. And the reason for the show is pretty simple. Richmond, like most communities, is very good at helping the startup entrepreneur. Um, there's lots of programs that we run here, like most major uh, metropolitan areas. They're looking to create growth in, in the economy by creation of jobs, by working with startups. The problem is, is that they're working with the wrong group of people. The jobs don't come from the startups. The jobs come from companies that are existing who are small, who have been able to find their way to high and fast growth. And that's who we're dedicated to. So... If you are, if you've been in business for a number of years and you're looking for the payoff, you're looking for to get paid back for all the years of sacrifice and the and financial investment and the investment that has cost you in time, then that's, you are at the right place because this is what we're doing here at the station. Okay. Now for our new visitors, here's our format. And for everybody else, we are running basically a radio TED, which is a TED presentation, much like uh, the TED forums do, where we have a 15 minute segment. Uh, led by a thought leader on a particular topic. Each one of these stand alone by themselves, or if you are an ongoing listener or you download our podca uh, podcast at richmondbizlive.com, then what will happen is you'll see a kind of a thread running all through this. But basically what we talk about is what, why, and how to apply a particular principle. Number two is that all of our thought leaders are either internationally, nationally, or locally known, and they are business owners. So you're not hearing any theory here. You're hearing what we're applying day to day in our businesses. And those of you who have been following this uh, know that I've been talking a lot about uh, the company that I've been working as a VP for, a manufacturing company down in Southwest Virginia. Everything we do is based upon answering five questions. And these five questions came to me over the years as I'm sitting on a Saturday morning trying to figure out where the business is. Question one is, are we on budget? Which means, where is our cash flow? Cash on hand. Number two, are we on plan? Which has everything to do with sales. Are we doing the conversions? Uh, are we closing the deals we need to be closing? Are we moving them through this, the sales funnel? Number three, are we on schedule? All of us, regardless of what we do, we what our businesses do, are providing something to somebody. So are we on schedule to provide those items at a level of quality and at a price point they're going to see value? Number four is the issue of customer complaints and resolution. Uh, we deal with customers. You're going to have complaints every week, every day. How are we resolving those? And when we resolve them, do the customers win? And finally, the last one is on the issue of metrics. We've got to measure the performance of people 
Otherwise, we cannot answer the question of how uh, productive we are as an organization and as a company. So that is the format. You are in the right spot. And we're going to start off. Today's show is going to be Andy Schulich, who is a managing partner at the Metamorphosis Management Consulting, and he is a process and lean expert. And then I've got the next two modules. One is going to be on on performance, which is the other side of productivity and people. And then finally, I'm going to close the session out with owners as an executive. And that the issue there is what happens when the owner, when the company grows and the owner's role changes. So with that, good morning, Andy. Well, good morning, Dale. How are you? Today? I am doing great. Good seeing you in the studio again. Well, on that, did you have a wonderful week this week? I, I had a very long week in Southwest Virginia. It was a good week, but it was a very long week because we, um, we are using increasing productivity to expose our problem areas. Ah, very interesting and very good observations. That's super. Well, uh, that sort of leads me into a little bit what we're going to talk about today is uh, we're going to investigate the employees' challenges in, in performing these jobs that they are assigned and um, to be able to meet the, the work requirements and the performance standards. Uh, plus, we're going to also look at the role of the company in assisting the employees uh, to achieve these successes because it's uh, a joint venture. You know, very, it is very, very much of joint adventure. Yeah. So from our past work experiences, we've observed that as time continues to advance, uh, one's work life has become more demanding. Uh, challenges have arisen due to many reasons. Uh, number one, the developing and implementation of technology advances, as we've seen. The uh, movement of jobs out of the United States. Uh, the instability in job markets due to recessionary periods we've had. Uh, just to name a few, a lack of workers with technical competencies to supply the technical job market has forced some business to re relocate outside the U.S. and actually close their doors. Uh, experienced workers are retiring, and um, that is uh, very common. I think there's 10,000 people a day that retire. If uh, they can. Yes. <laughs> uh, thus, there are challenges both from the workforce and the business that employ the workforce. Uh, today's jobs are structured to be very challenging and require high levels of these performances. It has been observed that over the last 40 years, uh, the pace of change in the work environment has increased exponentially. For example, in 1975, personnel computers were basically non-existent. Um, and a statement was made that year that in the year 2000, the advent in computer technology would reduce the 1975 work week from 40 hours to a single day, eight hours. And um, thus many recreation businesses uh, would be starting up, so one would have to do something with their time. I, I remember doing some market research back in the 80s for uh -huh. clients, and I remember these predictions. And, of course, uh, we all know that a lot of this is a joke. Now, not the idea of recreation companies, right. but how many of you are working um, – 35 or 40 hours a week. Yeah, most yeah. people I think today are looking at the 45 hours to 60 hours a week. That's right. In fact, if I only work 45 hours, I had a good week. Right. And, um, you know, uh, we now observe uh, over the same period of time where we went from dial phones that resided in one location versus cell phone and iPads or iPhones that basically can receive conversations and data from anywhere in the world. The good news is I can work any place, any time. Bad news is I can work any place, any time. 
Yeah. No vacation. That's right. Plus, you're required now, instead of working 40 hours a week, you're on call for 24-7, 365. Amen. You know, the other thing. Um, You know, also, you know, we use paper correspondence versus Internet now. Uh, Everyone reported to one work location versus you now work anywhere in the world. So that's a big impact. The attendees of a single meeting uh, were in a room. And uh, now you can use Skype and go to meetings and other yep. type of software for, for bringing us together. And work is done across the world at different time zones. Uh, so that's a um, new problem of scheduling meetings. Um, financial books were done with paper and pencil. Now PC filing systems reside in the cloud, self-checking software, and instant moving of data. Mm-hmm. You know, totally different. Machinery with uh, minimal controls on self-analysis and uh, has adjusting software. Used to use a uh, drafting board in 2D design. Now you have computer-aided drafting systems that work in 3D, which automatically feed information to uh, computer network-controlled machines, which take a hunk of metal and produce a part without any intervention. We don't use metal. We use composite materials, but we have the same thing. We're... We are basically a small business, and all of our initial production is computer assistant. Yeah, yeah. So what changes will impact your business tomorrow or within the next five years? Think about it. You know, what items must a business address in order to survive in this constantly changing business environment? So there are basically two key components that we really have to address, and the first one is the employee. And uh, due to this increased rates of change, the need to learn is ever-increasing. It is ongoing function in today's work environment. Learning a skill when one is young and implementing it in the same way throughout one's life cycle does not exist today in the work environment. You know, Today, one is in a constant upgrading mode or obtaining new skills. As an example, um, a land excavation firm now uses GPS-guided bulldozers for the final few feet of grading, and the operator basically just sits back and goes along for the ride. But the operator must be able to take control of the situation if a malfunction occurs. Right. So he has to understand what's going on, not just sit back and... To give, to give you a correlation to that is that I spent a good many years in the United States Coast Guard, and we didn't have uh, satellite navigation when I was in, they do today, we still get out the sexton mm-hmm. and we still take a sunline or a star line. Yeah. We still get out and use the sexton to navigate because the reason is what happens if the net goes down? That's right. Skynet. The Skynet goes down or Skynet takes over, we can still drive our boats. That's right. And that could be critical in a storm. <laughs> uh, to address this need uh, for learning, an individual must now look ahead and obtain the knowledge that will address the goals that the individual wants to achieve. Uh, Today, this knowledge can be attained in your home, via internet, or you can, a conventional way, go to a formal class, attend seminars, conventions, association and organization meetings. And one of the things that everybody must face that supports a firm is that all people are the employees, Mm -hmm. including the owner. The owner right. has to also participate in this program. 
Yeah, because if he doesn't or she doesn't, then it conveys to the people that this is just something for them. Right. And then they're out, of, they're out of pace, and then what happens is they start asking for reports and data that are already out there. Right. And then the other thing is, you know, if the employees are educated and the executive branch isn't, um, when the executive branch is not working with the, the current tools to produce the final results, and it creates havoc. It sure does. Yeah. Uh, additionally, an employee must accept and be looking forward to change, be willing to be innovative, communicate with others, be willing to compromise, be both a leader and a follower at times, um, and acquire new skills. But most importantly, although learning is a key step, one must be able to apply the learning to the task at hand in order to be productive. Yep. Very, very, very important. Right. And that is a hard skill to measure in the hiring process. Very hard. Very hard. Uh, the old statement of, why did you do that at that particular way? And the answer was, well, because that's how we've done for the last 30 years. Well, this probably won't work today, and it'll probably put you out of business if you follow this philosophy. It definitely will. And I, one of the things I want to hit uh, hit to Andy on some thoughts is that uh, as we look at what we've done in Southwest Virginia, and it all started, it was based upon a process improvement, a productivity improvement around lean manufacturing, is that 75% of our success to date, our success to date is it looks like that we've raised capacity to plant by 30%. Uh, the last two or three months have been their best uh, billable months that they've ever had. We have positively affected margins. 75% of the reason we've done that has been that we have attuned ourselves to the people and lean has been strictly a skeleton, but I'd say right now lean and probably has 25% of the reason that we've been successful and the fact that we changed the culture on the floor by attending to the people issues, as you're talking about, that's probably 75% of the reasons that we've been successful to date. Yeah. And I think you made a statement earlier that once you develop your, your culture, not everybody in the old culture is going to fit the new culture. Therefore, unfortunately, some people will leave. We, uh, we hired, uh, we've hired some new people, and I had to fire somebody last week after just two weeks. Or we're using baseball terms. They were released. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't fit. They didn't fit who we are and where we're headed. Right. So the second key component is the business. The business must not only take the lead to identify, develop, and enforce the high-performance standards, but must also provide the tools and equipment to the employees in order for them to gain the ability to perform the standards. Without this linkage, the company will eventually fail. Absolutely. Uh, the business must stay on top of market situations, governmental regulations, technology, skill requirements, and other items. Uh, thus, the business must continuously review its strategies and make required adjustments based upon these, uh, this new information. This may cause the business to invest in physical items such as facilities, equipment, research, and new job positions. But a key investment is the existing employees. The business leadership must be open to new ideas, proactive solicit new ideas, listen to all the identified needs, respect the subject matter experts, help keep the subject matter experts up to date in their fields, allow people to branch into new fields, 
and hire experts into these new fields if existing employees can't transfer in. Provide the financial support for acquiring new knowledge. Recognize and uh, learn what situations or services positively motivate each individual mm -hmm. employee. Realize that mistakes will take place, but learn from these mistakes. And think forward to minimize the negative impact of these mistakes and other perceived negative risks. And Andy hit on something in there that I just want to I want to touch on uh, before he begins to get in his summation, um, and that's that upward mobility is important. Giving people a path for promotion is one way, but also is perhaps you've got somebody who does not want to be in a management role and take on that added responsibility. You ought to consider having kind of a guru in all the major topic areas. Now, I don't care what you call it. We call it gurus because you kind of have fun with that. You know, we give people the Swami hat and go, okay, he's the guru. But having somebody develop their knowledge to the point where they are the subject matter expert on a particular area. In our installation part of the business, we have somebody who is in that role and he gets paid correspondingly to that. And the issue is, is that anybody on an installation, any place in the areas that we cover, they have a question about installation. They call this guy on the phone, and even though he's in the field someplace, he will stop and say, okay, here's how you do it. You do it. He was not a good candidate for a leadership position, but he is a great person to be our guru or subject matter expert. So don't pass that one up. Don't think that everybody has to be promoted, but if you want that guru, you got to pay for it. Yeah, and, and I think in the past they looked at it as to get an advance, you had to go into management or leadership. But companies have in turn created two paths, one in the management leadership end, one in the technical end. That's right. So now you have technical advancement. You can get to very high levels in the technical. And that is definitely beneficial for the leadership because the leaders are only as good as the people that support them. So if you are around 50 to 60 employees and you're someplace approaching $10 million in revenue, consider this because you're of the right size to take that path. Right. So in closing, in our businesses, we have seen very little changes in roles of functions of group, such as marketing, sales, et cetera, except for the expansion of, say, the IT group. But what we have observed within all the groups is the implementation of new technologies, the tools used to drive productivity. Thus, the employees must learn how to use these advanced tools and integrate them into their daily processes and practices, and the business must provide the learning opportunities and the review approval of business processes and practices. What changes and challenges tomorrow will bring are yours and my best guesses. One thing is certain, change will become more frequent. Thus, the employees in the businesses must increase their endurance and abilities to learn, accept, adjust to, and implement these changes, or the outcome may be the death of the business. That's right. Andy, how do we get in touch with you? I can be reached on the web at www.metamorphosismc.com or go to the show web page under experts. Yep. Richmondbizlive.com slash experts. And you'll find Andy's smiling face. Andy, yeah. always good seeing you. Well, thank and, you. Uh, it's been a great second season. You've really helped out the companies out there on improving their processes and becoming more productive 
as they as they become one of those 15% companies, one of those companies that is doing well and is looking for the next move. And I look forward to season three, which starts next Saturday, where we're going to be talking about you got two paths now. Now that you've obtained a 5% level, it's either sell the business because it's never going to be worth more or let's do this again and how do I reinvent it? And I'm looking forward to your insights on how do you, from a process and productivity standpoint, reinvent the business. Well, this has really been a, a fun time and uh, uh, get a lot of satisfaction of helping these companies because they're so involved in their day-to-day -day work, they don't have time to think of these. And, and hopefully I can provide enough information and questions in their mind that will stimulate their thoughts so they can uh, work at a higher level, I guess as I call you it. You sure do. So make sure that you go to richmondbizlive.com, you go to resources section, and you download um, any one of those shows because um, Andy's there and you can get the expertise that you need and you get it for free. Imagine the wonders of radio. Thank you, Marconi. And so with that, <laughs> this is Richmond Biz Live. This is WLEE News Talk 990, 844 uh, and we'll be back. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic, full-life experience, contact me, Andy Shuley, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLEE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is WLE News Talk 990. The show is Richmond Biz Live. Um, and uh, I'm your host, executive producer, and host of the show, William Eastman, managing partner for the Growth Works. And uh, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to do a couple of our uh, weekly shout outs. One is to my partner and good friend, and very Rich Retzer. Uh, Rich, sorry I didn't call you back last night. Been kind of fast lately, um, but we'll talk this afternoon. Also, uh, the gentleman who runs our West Coast operation in all of Canada out of Las Vegas and Calgary, Alberta, uh, Kevin Granger. I'd also like to do a shout out to Brian Taylor and all the people at the Central Virginia African American Chamber of Commerce. We had a great reception on Thursday, and I'm looking forward to having members on the show in season three. Also, I'd like to do a shout out to my good friend and partner here in the studio, the guy that really runs that, um, uh, Billy Flynn. Billy, good morning. Yo, yo, yo. Good morning, sir. How are you be doing? I'd be fine. So I'm, I'm a little, I went to Bush Gardens yesterday. I'm a little tired. A little tired? Tired yeah. of what? Um, you know, life, live, no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, it was out riding all the coasters, got there not long after the park opened, stayed for the Halloween stuff. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. All right. You partied down. I tried to, my man. I all tried right. to. Well, that's a good thing. I'd say my partying down Saturday nights. Otherwise, I'd have to come in here dragging butt. <laughs> that would make an interesting show, though. Oh, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, um. Here we go. I've got uh, I've got the next two uh, segments, and one segment is going to be on 
the human resources or performance side of the equation. And then the other one is on the issue of productivity. I mean, on owner's executive. Now, Andy and I, last season, what we did is I called mine people or human resources, and he called his processes. This season, we thought we changed the name because what we wanted to do is kind of create the mindset that these two things are synonymous with one another and because they really are. And so productivity are the things that I do around the physical plant to make work easier. In other words, make it easier for people to do high-quality work. And then the performance side of that is, okay, now that I've got the processes easier, I can put people into that job. And uh, well, then I have the issue of dynamics. So I have been, I've, I've been thinking about putting a paper up on, and I think I will this week, and I'll let everybody know um, in our listener uh, audience who uh, exactly when you can get it. But I want you to visualize this, is that if, if you look at what makes performance and productivity happen at the front line, here's the deal. Number one is you have to be process-based. Um, you've got to look at your, everything you do as a series of processes from beginning to end. Number two is then each position has to have a clearly defined part of the process so that people understand how significant it is what they do as well as they understand what happens before them and they understand what happens after them so that they understand the whole flow. It is incredibly important to understand the entire flow. Number three is you apply the principles of lean manufacturing to take out all the upset conditions and you take out the waste and effectively, like I said, you make it easier for the individual to do high quality work. Now, once you've done that, now I have to go and I have to attack the culture of the organization or the culture of that particular department because what you're really looking for uh, locally is a culture of performance, which means that everybody brings the best they have every day. And, you know, we'll have some variation there because, you know, some days you're really on, you know, you go three for four. Um, other days, other days you're not there and, you know, you go 0 for four. Well, other guys pick you up. So the, really the issue is, is come to work and give me what you got that day. That's what I expect from you. Leave, take nothing to the locker room, leave it, leave it on the floor. Number two, and just as important, it's the concept of collaboration. We cannot be successful if we don't collaborate, whether that's between a department and I mean, inside the department, if it's inside the department, it's kind of called the next man up. In other words, okay, the star is on the bench. Who else is going to step up and take that position? And so the idea is we're there to help each other. And certainly when you take a look at departments, I have four uh, pro productivity cells in Southwest Virginia, trying to get collaboration within the cell wasn't that difficult because they worked together. But what was exceedingly difficult was getting collaboration between the cells. And I maybe I shouldn't say exceedingly difficult. It, it basically is everybody's view was, I got my own thing to work on. And so if I can help the other guy out, fine. But I got my own stuff I got to work on. Well, that kind of gets me into what my part of the presentation uh, on performances today. And that is the deal about right information providing the right information. Now, I've, I've cited this before, and I'll do it again. I would highly recommend that you do a Google search or you go on Amazon, and there's two authors you look hard at. One is Jack Stack, and the other one is John Case. And what both of those gentlemen talk about is the concept of open book management. In other words, teaching people the financials of the firm so that people in every position have line of sight to how the company makes money. Now, that doesn't mean that you share all the books with people. I'm not there. 
But there are some things such as owner compensation that I would definitely leave off that list. Or if you have family members in the firm, I would definitely leave that off because that's a different issue. But if they're not family members, then, you know, we're talking about something different. My deal is if I don't understand how my performance, my work affects the bottom line of the company, it, you, it is almost a joke to expect me to give a damn and expect me to do the type of work that you need done in that particular scenario. And so that's why I, I, I take the approach of telling people how they affect productivity in the plant, how they affect the profitability of the organization. And that's what the next stage here is providing that right information. And so that, and not only do we collect it, but we share it on a frequent basis and we debrief. So for example, I'll give you one. The, the three things that we are now looking at in productivity to really make this simple is how many units a day are produced, how many units per day are potentially uh, can be, and then we look at a thing called tack time, which is the German term for availability of equipment, and that is if we have a machine that is operating for 600 minutes a day, how many minutes a day is it operating? And if it is not operating between, say, 85 and 95% of the time, what's the cause? And what we've done with that is we use that to uncover where are the, where are the disruptions in the productivity system that we need to fix. Now, right now, the ones that we have in Southwest Virginia are outside the department. But when we had problems that were inside the department, I got the people together and say, okay, well, how do we solve this? Such as we have a process that we just don't work on raw materials. They have to be somewhat, um, we have to add value to a, a raw material before we can put it into the system. We had the people that were operating the, the CNC machines, the computer assisted uh, uh, manufacturing machines. We had them doing layups. Well, if they're doing layups, they're not running the machine. So what that said is that we had to re basically reposition people within the floor to make sure that the operators were never leaving the floor. And we not only did that, but everybody has a backup. We trained a backup to take over during breaks and lunch. So now we, we effectively are running a machine 10 hours a day. And, and that also means that our preventive maintenance system better be pretty good. But Andy already talked about that in terms of either prevent it from uh, breaking down or it runs to destruction. But the big thing here with the right information to people is that if I expect really good performance from them, then how, how can I get that performance when they don't understand how they're contributing to that? And then the other piece of this is making sure that any training that I do is integrated with that particular position. Now, it's interesting that I mix information and training together, but really what is training? Training is just providing people information or knowledge so that they can go back and apply that in a job setting. And so, for example, we've been doing open book training. Now, did anybody go to a training seminar on open book? No, they didn't. But in a number of one-to-ones or an all-hands meeting or in a huddle that we have within the cell, have we not trained them on how to read the metrics? We certainly have. And so that this training stuff doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be kind of small. But the deal is, is that people, if they don't know what they're doing, I have to get them up to a certain point uh, to where they are. And so the only training that we do is training that is immediately applicable to the job, except for things that are compliance-based. So that's just some thoughts there on the performance side, is that if we, we take what Andy talked about, and we talked about processes, uh, positions that are linked in the process so people understand the significance of what they do as well as they understand the whole flow. Then we have people in the job and we make sure that they're trained and skilled to be able to do that job. 
that if they don't want to proceed in the organization into management, then there is a place to be to be the subject matter expert in that particular area, and we're willing to pay for that. Now that gets us into an, another area, and that has to do with how people are led and managed. Now, I'm jumping a little bit into the owner as executive, but it just makes sense to kind of conclude with this, and that is how that, that group of people is managed by their immediate supervisor or led by their immediate supervisor will have a huge determination on how they work and especially how they interact. Because one of the things that you're looking for is what is their relationship peer-wise? What do they hold each other accountable for? What are they willing to accept? Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit and give you a little research here that you may or may not be interested in, but I certainly am, so it's my microphone, is that I go back uh, 30 years ago when I was first getting in the business. I did some work with the University of Michigan's Institute on Social Research, and a guy by the name of Rensis Lickard was at the time, I don't know, in his late 70s, really kind of a guru and a great guy to learn from. And he said the most significant in, pro in production is peer leadership. And I said, what do you mean peer leadership? And he says, it's how they lead each other because even more potent than what the supervisor does or the manager is what they allow each other to do and what they hold each other accountable for. And so how they're led will have some influence on that, but as kind of a bigger issue about the culture of the organization. And so, well, let me kind of conclude with the culture piece as I'm building this from the bottom up is that I can't tell you that this is exactly what should be in your organization because I think there is some degree of there's what's right for one company may not be right for the other, but I'm, I'm changing my mind on this. Uh, in large corporations, I would say that you would let the, the, the organization customize what culture they want. In smaller businesses, I'm going to say that there are three things that have to be in your cultural specifications. One is performance, just as we talked about. And we can get more detailed in behaviors, but performance. The second element of your culture is collaboration. And we can get more detailed in behaviors, but those are, I think, essential. And the third one is the issue of frugality, is that we will spend the money to buy the part or buy the equipment that will affect productivity, make it easier for people to do work. We will pay people more money for high quality work. However, just because we have money doesn't mean we have to spend it. And I'll leave you with an interesting thought before we go to break. And that's this. When you look at companies, their startup, what, when, what period of time, what was the economy of when they started and, and what is the longevity of the firm? that companies that started during good times, economic good times, have a higher failure rate, almost double the failure rate of companies that start during bad times. And the reason for that, it seems to be counterintuitive until I give you the answer, and then it, you'll go, of course, is the companies that start in bad times must be frugal and get every penny out of the dollar. They've got to get a total value. They can't throw money at anything. They don't build monuments. They don't go out and get beautiful buildings they don't spend lots of money on great Herman Miller furniture. They don't lease Cadillacs for the executives because there is no money. And so what happens is they start off getting every cent out of the dollar. And so when the economy gets good, they don't get lulled into thinking that they have money to spend, which they don't. And so I would say your small business, however you want to say it, it's performance, it's collaboration, and it's frugality. And it's those three elements that is going to build the long-term longevity of your firm. And so that when you go from, uh, no, I can't say that. I can't say that because then I would be giving something away about my client. When you double your revenue, 
costs should not double. And what a lot of companies do is they let the cost line rise as fast as the revenue line. And at the end of the day, they're going, we're making twice as much money. And yet we don't have any more than we did when we were half the revenue. And guess what? The reason for it is you're not running a frugal operation. So kind of give that some thought and I'll work on that paper and get it up on the website uh, sometime this week. And we'll talk about it next week. So anyway, this is richmondbizlive.com. The number is 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844-BIZ-LIVE. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? In our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. And we're back. This is WLE News Talk 990. The show is Richmond Biz Live. And I am William Eastman, managing partner for the Growth Works, better known as Bill to most of my friends. I'm also executive producer of this show and the developer of the 51580 concept, which has been driving our first two seasons, and it's going to be the theme of our of our season three starting next week. Uh, but I'll get to that. I'll close on that. So this last segment is on owner as executive. And for our first-time listeners, the, the issue here is that if you come from the large corporate world, you're going to understand completely what I'm about to say. And that is that as you can company, you realize that when you move from first-line supervision to middle management, you have to totally change your approach and style. Because if you're, if you're a middle manager and you act like a first-line supervisor, you're going to get your wish. You're going to be a first-line supervisor again. If, in fact, you move from middle management up to the executive level and you act like a middle manager, you're going to get your wish. You're going to be a middle manager again. Because each one of those levels demands a totally different approach to leadership and management. If you're a small business owner and you have not worked in a large corporation, you don't know that. That's not something that is part of your fact base. And so the, the reason for this segment is to help owners understand that as the company grows, the role of the owner significantly changes. And you go from basically the owner being the hub and all the employees being the spoke to a process-based system, which is what we talked about in Season 1 and Season 2, and that's Andy Schulich has done a great job of covering those principles, to a results-based organization, which is where we're going to go in Season 3. And trust me, being, being the leader of a results-based organization is infinitely easier to manage and a hell of a lot more fun than trying to be the guy who's directing everything or trying to manage processes. Now, this week, this segment, and this last segment of Season 2, is on two issues. One is management face time, and the other one is team building. Now, I've kind of discussed this a lot over the last couple of weeks, so let me kind of close out here on, 
on what we've been talking about in Season 2. Management FaceTime is really about what is the orientation of the people in the organization in leadership and management roles. So I'm taking it not from work. I'm not taking it from the supervisor level. I'm taking it to the next level up, the people in management who are usually removed from the floor as well as the executives in the firm. And if you are a 50 to 60 employee company and you're someplace around $10 million, you probably have right now four levels in the company. You've got the people doing the work. You have supervisors, or we have working supervisors who not only work but supervise. Then we have managers who control that. And then we have directors, which is at the executive level. And the reason for that is simply to make sure that we can get the support work covered so that we can produce as much as we can produce daily. So what happens with the management in terms of how they do their jobs? Because a lot of times, once you get off the floor, you don't go back. You, um, you, you run the business by email. You run the business by looking at spreadsheets and by looking at reports. And so effectively, you, don't, you lose contact with the firm. And so what happens is that you kind of neglect some of the bigger issues that we've been discussing because how do you impart culture in an organization? The way you impart culture is by what you talk about every single day. Um, I, ha I have come to the opinion over the years that there's two essential tasks of management and leadership, executive leadership. One is gaining clarity on the end game, making sure that it, nobody is confused about what we're trying to accomplish. Now, everybody might have a little different perspective based upon their level and role in the organization, but when I put them all together, it's got to be coherent. So what is the end game? And everybody has a line of sight to that. They can see how they contribute. And then the second thing that you do every day in every conversation with anybody that works in the organization is to get alignment. And what I mean by alignment is that any behavior that is outside of getting us to that end game is behavior that has to be stopped. Now I can use I can use my I can use recognition, I can use punishment, I can use some of that stuff. But what I'm finding is if all you ever talk about are the things that we need to do to get to the end game, what begins to happen is that everybody begins to take up on that because not that people are sheep, but people expect that the leader will lead. And part of the employment agreement is that if you lead, I will follow. Now, if you ask me to do something that's unethical, you ask me to do something that is illegal, I'm not going to do that. But I want the business to succeed as much as anybody else for the simple reason is that it's putting a roof on my family's head, it's putting food on the table, it's clothing my kids, and, and you know they may be able to go to college. So right now what we're doing as an organization we probably have about 90 families who live because we are doing our jobs. So the people on the floor are motivated, or at any level of the organization, are motivated to make the company successful if you bring them into it. And if you find somebody who is not, you got an excellent candidate to be released, or if they've been in the company a period of time, for you to basically to be let go. Because if they're not going to contribute to that long-range uh, long vision, then they shouldn't be here. My challenge is most people who don't contribute either don't get what their role is or they don't get any reinforcement. Easiest way to test this as a manager is to track your time for a week because I, I think most of us at some level of the organization use some, some sort of da uh, daily time management system because there's no way you can do your job without somehow managing your own time. Look at where you spend most of your time. 
And that tells you where the focus is, and that tells everybody around you that if you come out and you give a speech on we ought to do X, Y, and Z, and then they deal with you maybe 30 times over the week, and you never bring it up again, and so those hours of interaction that go on during the week, that topic is never raised, you don't support it, you don't reprimand it. In other words, you do nothing around it. Um, it's just gonna, it's gonna go in one ear and out the other. And so what it has to become, it has to be your, your daily dialogue with the floor. Um, what I do is I, on my schedule, I have two things that I do every day. I have what I call tours and I have what I call visits. Now I got this from Tom Peters a long time ago and his, his wonderful uh, book. I think it was not in search of excellence. It was the second book where he talked about management by wandering around and okay, how do I wander? Well, what is a tour? A tour is a couple times a day I walk the plant with no particular end in mind, nobody that I plan to go see, just walk the plant to see what's going on. And I typically either do it right before break or right after break, right before lunch or right after lunch. And so also I'm checking on who's here and what type of management discipline am I seeing on the floor? Uh, my visits, on the other hand, is that I have key people that I see every day and that over the space of the week, I make sure I touch base with all the key people. And what are we talking about, which gets me into the third one here, and that is every question I ask is a derivative of this. Are there any obstacles that are preventing you from doing quality work? That's it. And if they say, yep, it's this, this, and this, what's the number one job of management? The removal of obstacles. Because if there's obstacles in the workplace, I wish you luck holding people accountable on performance. You can't because what they're going to point to, well, I had no material or the programs weren't on the floor or this or that, and they're going to be valid. And so what my job is to make sure that anything that prevents people from doing the work that needs to be done in that, in that vision statement, when I say here's who we are and this is what we're trying to accomplish, my job in management is to make it go away, is to somehow mitigate that. And if I do that, that's how you change the culture on the floor. It has taken us four months just four months to basically change the culture on the floor from what it was, which some of it was good and some of it was not productive, to now predominantly productive, and we're making hiring and firing decisions based upon what we're seeing on the floor. Now, the other part of that gets into my issue around collaboration is more and more we're doing this through meetings and teams. So I will give you my 3M approach um, to be an executive in the firm. Uh, I've, talk, I've, I've talked about meetings. I've talked about metrics. And... Um, Da, da, da. Oh wow! I had a brain. I had. I just had a. I had a brain burp there. Okay. Um. Anyway, it'll, it'll come back to me. Is is the issue here? Is that I try to create different types of teams. You got an executive team that you work on building. You got management teams. You got improvement teams. You got teams on the floor. But the way to look at this is to build collaboration among the different players. I have to have teamwork, as I talked about before on, on the work that was done at the Institute for Social Research back in the 60s and 70s, is that peer leadership was the most important factor. I've never seen any research to repudiate that. It's still the most important factor that goes on in any business uh, in terms of productivity on the floor. And so it's how I build teams. So right now what we're doing is we're changing, we're changing the organization by meetings and by metrics. And the meetings are who we bring together, and the goal there is to give them line of sight and to build collaboration. The metrics is to capture the state of the business, to feed it back, to give the right information to the right people so that they can make 
high-quality decisions. And if they're not making quality decisions, then what that gives me is a training opportunity. Because two shows back, I talked about the idea that there has to be a, a common decision-making process within the firm. If you've got that, then what will happen is that as an owner or as an executive, I can get a little bit more comfortable when i got people out there uh, making decisions and I'm going, my God, should I be monitoring them? Well, look, if, the, if, if I have taught them how to approach a problem and how to think it through and how to identify the root cause and how to come up with a solution and how to take a look at alternatives and finally make a call about what needs to be done, I only have to have a minimum of oversight over that, such as when you get to the point where you've got your choice solution and two alternatives, let's have a meeting, and I want you to talk about the upside and downside of all three so we can decide which one is the right one. You've exercised incredible amount of control, and yet you've turned over and given a lot of autonomy to the people who supposedly are the subject matter experts. And so that is how we kind of build the teams. The, the, the issue of team building is not a touchy-feely thing. It's not about getting everybody really happy uh, and, and happy and go lucky and, you know, all that. That's wonderful if it happens. This is about getting people focused on performance and focused on collaboration and helping each other out. So the, those are my two on that. Now, in my closing couple minutes here, let me talk about what we did last season and what you can expect next week. Um, so real quickly, our model is 18 is 80-15-5, 80 percent of the small businesses out there, and that's companies 50 million or less, 500 employees or less. Uh, are at the 80% survival stage. In other words, they're barely hanging on. And what they're looking to do is they're looking to get the break-even. And season one shows one through 13, and we're all focused on the break-even. Season two, which today is the end of, uh, shows 14 through 26. The focus is on the 15%. The companies that have got beyond break-even, they're making a few dollars, and they're saying, what's next? And what we focused on this session was what was on what was next. How do I figure out where to go next? And the goal there is season three, and that is to become part of the five percent. And who are the five percent? The five percent are either market leaders or market dominators or niche leaders or niche dominators, whatever word you want to pick. Is that if you went into a particular um, product or service and you said who's the top dog here? That company comes up time and time and time again. Why would you? Why do you want to be the five percenter? Well, there's a lot of good reasons. Let me talk about financial. The five percenters typically are forty percent more profitable than the fifteen percenters. Hear that again: forty percent more profitable. And why? Because they are typically at a minimum twenty-five percent more productive than the fifteen percenters. And so what is happening here is that that productivity is now giving you almost a double return. Some of the companies that we worked with when we did our original research were 60% greater than all of their competitors. So that gives you an idea of what the rarefied air up into the 5% is. And now the issue becomes is this. If you're a business owner and you've been around for a while and you're saying, how do I get a payoff? You get to the 5%. And now you have two choices, which is where we're going to take season three. Choice number one is, gee, this was fun. I'm not ready to quit. There is more money on the table. Let's do it again. And so one track we're going to take, which is going to bring back uh, Mike Carroll, and uh, is going to be talking about marketing and sales. And along with that, we're going to have Ben Meredith from uh, B&B Consulting, who's going to be talking about the technology part of that, the CRM. Linda Heath's going to be back to talk about, okay, how do I look at the business now? How do I value it? 
and how do I make the investments to, re to reinvent the company? And Andy Shuley is going to talk about, okay, now where we're at is it's not about the processes we have because we've already assumed that the processes are right. This is now going to be about what is our new product development cycle and how do we come out with new products and services? Or option two is it's never going to be worth more than it is today unless I reinvent it. Then it may be worth twice. But let's say you've had enough. Well, then how do I sell the business? And what I'm going to be doing, introducing is some new people to the show who, for whom this is their business. And so that's where we're going to take season three. Now, if you put the whole thing together, those three seasons, it'll tell you how to, how to if you're an 80 percenter, how do you get to the 15? Season one. Season two, if you're at 15, you want to get to five. That's what we're about right now. Next season, season three, I want to reinvent the firm or I want to sell it and get the maximum amount of money for my business and get paid back for all I've done. That is the flow we're going to take. And that'll take us through the end of the year. So with that, um, this is William Eastman, the managing partner for the Growth Works. Um, we have offices in Richmond, Virginia, who handle the East Coast. We have offices in Kansas City, Missouri. And you notice I knew how to say Missouri, um, which handles the Midwest. And by the way, we stay away from the big cities. We like the little ones. And then we have Las Vegas which is our Pacific, and we also have Calgary, Alberta, which is all of Canada. And so with that, please come to our website, richmondbizlive.com, or you can go over to the GrowthWorks site from there and think about becoming a member where you can get access to free information. And with that, thanks for a great season two. Wealth and prosperity all. executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live. Get financial advice on The Larry Kudlow Show. Saturdays from 4 to 7 on WLEE Richmond.